0: With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the Internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms participants in web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales.
1: Good morning, good afternoon good evening Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. Uh, it is June 15th. Uh it is kind of we're rolling into summer. School is out pretty much around the world. And and it's been a really amazing kind of time in the Web3 asset class. Uh we're seeing major innovations and we're also seeing major setbacks uh in regards to regulation uh both in the US uh but but also regulation that's very positive abroad. Uh metaverses are moving forward and also scaling back. So it's really a, an amazing time of chaos. And this is a new format for us. Um so we're going to try really pushing into the panel approach a little bit more. So Why Whale's uh, podcast in the past have been very focused on singular companies, singular topics. Uh, and so this is gonna be much more of a rapid fire this week in in web three uh type type issues and so we're really excited to kind of see how this goes i've got some amazing co-hosts they'll introduce themselves as we kind of go along uh but that being said let's go ahead and dive just right into the first article which is i think amazing when we talk about the the concepts of you know moving towards regulated cryptocurrencies and so right off the bat blackrock uh one of the largest uh fund managers around the world is close to filing for a bitcoin etf um blackrock Again, uh, is, is plans to utilize Coinbase custody. Uh, so Coinbase is actively being sued right now by the SEC, and BlackRock is prepared to launch an ETF utilizing Coinbase's uh, off, on-chain offline storage custody, which is a huge and, and massive move. Um, I really applaud uh, this moves across the board. Siva, what's your thoughts uh, as we start moving into kind of having more? Um, Larger asset classes being managed by the people that already do this.
2: Type. Yeah, I think that's you know when most people think what's going to be the next adoption event for crypto or Web3, a lot of people are very much focused on the retail, uh, you know, trader or or the retail audience. And I have a very personal thesis that it's not the retail audiences in mass that are going to drive a lot of adoption. It's it's the institutions, it's the B2B frameworks, right? It's the it's the the nature, the the rails that provide the large players in Web 2 and in traditional business today to onboard into Web 3. So this is really interesting because BlackRock is, you know, quite famously one of the most famous financial institutions, but the most famous asset manager in the world, right, with how many billions of, of assets under management. And what's representative of that is if BlackRock can issue a Bitcoin ETF, and we'll talk about you know Coinbase and if that's you know the right platform of choice and, and what have you. But you know, Bitcoin ETF means that they have now exposed a financial instrument to financial institutions or TradFi institutions for them to you know regulatorily regulatory comply and enter into the crypto markets. And that's very powerful, right? Because financial institutions, banks, market makers hedge funds buy side sell side right now have a huge aversion a huge risk you know to enter these markets because quite frankly they might they might get fined they don't un, there is no regulatory clarity unless you know most recently with mica and in, in the eu but especially within the us you know if we enter into these markets and expose these instruments to our customers are they legal are they compliant you know will we get fined
1: yeah, and I think one of the one of the most interesting things is you know BlackRock directly and indirectly touches over eight trillion dollars uh, worth of assets around the world. Uh, currently, today, the entire cryptocurrency market cap is just hovering right over one trillion dollars. So you're actually talking about a single institution that is eight times larger than the entire cryptocurrency market. And what what's really interesting to me is is Bitcoin is right now I think the safest cryptocurrency to touch. You know, the SEC has is, is issued you know relatively clear like, hey, it's it's not a security. Go ahead and play with it. But when you have a company this size um, and, and that, this much reach and this much influence, saying, "Hey, we are starting to dabble into blockchain," that's a big deal because they can overnight, if they truly do adopt this technology and adopt that blockchain is a better way to store digital assets, um, you could see you could see a ten x easy. Uh, increase in the cryptocurrency market cap, not by bringing on you know small. new Ethereum I, or anything else. I think it's, I think yeah, think it's, it's, it, it's very small. Right?
2: And and you know think th- think about the nature of BlackRock, and this is yep. why financial institutions and institutional traders are really going to be in my per- in, in my perspective the that inflection point for adoption. BlackRock with its network, right? If you understand capital markets for for the audience that doesn't. if if you're someone like a BlackRock, you have within your financial network you have direct relationships and connections to the largest custodians like a bny mellon or the largest um, um, uh, market makers right like a jane street Mm -hmm. or the largest institutions like an hsbc or a scotia bank or a santander or a jp morgan and chase so when you pull in a financial instrument and expose that to your client base or your customer base You've already brought your you know, sphere of influence, your own personal financial network and ecosystem, an easier way to onboard into this new asset class. And that's powerful. As you mentioned before, BlackRock's assets under management eclipse the total market cap of the crypto market. So when you bring in and think about what they could do with that, right? They, they could... Assets under management is not only right financial instruments in the in the form of spot or futures or derivatives or what have you. That's also actual assets under management, REITs, you know, for high net worth uh, collections. And when we start thinking about the next wave of Web three and tokenization and digital assets and crypto backed assets and digital issuance and them being considered securities and all that, it is it is just some. It's it's a big deal that BlockRock um, is entering it. Now, my personal thesis or my perspective on how they're doing it is probably not the right approach, right? They, they weren't with the safest at the time, right, Coinbase. Uh, but Coinbase is mired in a lot of, uh, you know, the current investigation by SEC. But Bitcoin ETFs are, you know, the SEC has approved Bitcoin ETFs. Two years ago, ProShares came in with an approved SEC, approved Gary Ginsler. Signed off on it. Yep. The Bitcoin ETF, and we've got a couple of Bitcoin ETFs out there now, right?
1: Yeah, and, he, and it's not like he's ever changed his mind before. So, no. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> so, so, it, it with is. Coinbase,
2: yeah. It's it's risky for BlackRock because there is no regulatory framework in the US. And now they're going with Coinbase. So, does that mean that they're going off of Coinbase's EU structure? And will they be able to expose those products to US customers, or do they have to stay? you know, to a uh, specific to EU customers, can they um, uh, can 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 they start exposing, you know, other network players to an independent-
1: well, I think, I think the thing that is even gets scarier is when you think about this is, you know, we saw what happened with Gemini and Genesis and, and all these other ones is that when there was true, like, hey, they got shut down, um, it became that those client funds were, were actually not client funds. They were considered, you know, uh, un, un, unaccredited investors. Um, and so that's where I, suddenly I say, you know, hey, BlackRock, I mean, you there's a lot of ways to do non-custodial wallets and a lot of ways, you know go to firebox, you know, Coinbase again, I'm sure they they there's a sweet deal amongst this. And by the way, they're using Coinbase's uh market matching engine for for pricing. Um but when, you know, unless you have a guaranteed slam dunk that you're going to win that, um you know, you're you're just kind of depositing money in a bank that's already under under Department of Justice investigation. So, uh very interesting. Jumping over to the next one. Uh, So Polygon unveils their their 2.0 roadmap. And I think Polygon, this is a really interesting one. So Polygon, which is the leading Ethereum scaling solution, has unveiled its 2.0 roadmap, detailing its plans to transform its ecosystem into a network of interconnected chains. This redesign will introduce new utility for the MATIC token, pave the way for more community governance, and aims to establish Polygon as the quote-unquote value layer of the internet with unlimited scalability and on un, uh, unified liquidity as a zk technology, um, this is really interesting to me. I think the Polygon is is probably one of the you know kind of most uh, used side chains. Uh, it is you know right now if you go to Open it's Ethereum, Solana, and, and Polygon. So they they've been right there as kind of the, the 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 main side chain of Ethereum. But I think this also really showcases how early we are. Like. When the leader of of a of a subcategory in cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain technology is still on their 2.0 roadmap, I mean that's early and new. And I love this this concept that they're they're a bridge, they're a utility, they're connecting other chains, which is desperately desperately needed. Um, it still misses quite a bit of of uh, you know there, there's no governance you know that's that's verified, so none of this is KYC AML. You know they're still very much on you know hey decentralization is is enough. Um, and and they're dealing with quite a bit of being delisted on a number of exchanges due to to the, uh, our our favorite buddy, Gary Gensler, again labeling them as a security. Anyone else have any thoughts on this, or am I the only geek on this? It's
2: it's it's an interesting one. Um, as you mentioned, we're still so early. You know, we're like, I and mean, we we have these conversations all the time, right? Uh, it's very it's very uh, you know, uh, analogous to the late '90s where. Every new technology company or every new .com company was vying for consumer attention to leverage their technology, whether that was, you know, your server stack, whether that was your data pipelines, whether that was, you know, AOL versus Netscape, right, down to that nature. You know, remember, Ask Jeeves before Google and what have you. Everyone's trying to carve out their yep. their piece of the pie, so to speak. And, and Polygon has really came out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, they, they blew up on the scene within the past two years and they came to the market with really... Um, it's, it's, it's a really innovative business strategy where they went with a partner model first. Hey, while everyone else is vying for consumer attention and kind of the retail and, you know, uh, customer adoption of their technology, Polygon went straight to the major brands and approached them and said, hey, we will develop work for you free of cost, right? You, you can, as long as you... Uh, as, as long as you agree to do it on Polygon and you publicly, ex, uh, you know, expose via PR and marketing that you are aligning your Web3 strategy with Polygon. So now we've got companies like Starbucks that is building their entire loyalty rewards program on Polygon, right? There's, Polygon is probably the single chain uh, you know, or single layer, so to speak, right, or a compilation of layers um, that has got the most enterprise adoption outside of Hedera, Hidera, I don't even want to call a chain because it's not technically you know there's no real protocols you know that's a whole different topic but and then polygon came to market you know from a data privacy perspective they were the ones to do a major ZK rollout zero knowledge proofs right and that's a huge consideration when you're talking about data movement and you know metadata and, and how you can start to privatize data and how you can start to on a decentralized ledger right how do you make sure that concepts like, PII or GDPR, you know, are tested for on chain. Polygon led with that, right? And they did that from an enterprise perspective, an enterprise lens, right? And so
1: and and it's and it's going to take a long time for for us to understand you know what are these protocols you know because it's as you move from chain to chain to chain you know you have to wrap tokens you you have to have these really awkward bridges so if polygon really is you know trying to help bridge and interconnect other chains um it it could bring some semblance of of normalcy uh, across these various protocols and and you know more collaboration amongst amongst the chains which i believe there's going to be many 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 more of uh, over over the next few decades, and they all have a place um, in, in the ecosystem. Uh, so next article, uh, Salesforce, uh, which again we you know these guys are they are acquisition uh, machines. They deploy a gazillion products a year. Siva, you worked with them for a long, long time. So they put another six million dollars into an AI backed Web three data platform, Mnemonic. Um, Mnemonic is an AI uh, backed. NFT data and analytics provider for enterprises and Web3 developers. Uh, This helps developers and enterprises create Web3 products and experiences more efficiently and reliably, um, and helps with spam detection to protect users from less reliable NFT collections. I think this is a huge win. Um, I'm not a Salesforce fan by any means, but anytime you start to get the experience of true industry, uh, that that's they understand the laws, they understand the regulation, and they understand consumer protections. I think just having any amount of their legal departments overseeing the rollout of these large scale projects is is just so needed. Um, Sue, you talk about this all the time um, with how much is how important it is for, you know, these NFT collections to be validated and verified.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it, a major enterprise like Salesforce, just like BlackRock with the ETF and major brands on the Polygon chain, these large enterprises start to, number one, provide visibility to everyone about the about um, their credibility in the market. And it improves, I'll use the word credibility again, credibility of Web3, um, whether it's cryptocurrencies to NFTs improves credibility in the market when you have these large enterprises signing
1: on. Yeah, it, it really, I mean, Siva, you see this as well as, as uh, the Managing Director of Solutions. I mean, there's so many people that are like, hey, I just want to make an NFT. I want to you know go ahead and build something. And there's so much more than just rolling it out and, and you know firing off a button. Like there's so much back office work that people don't account for, and it takes somebody like Salesforce, like Sue just said, that even understands the process of of deploying assets like
2: this. Yeah, uh, you know, for context, I was a uh, uh, just for disclaimer, I, I, I was a reseller of Salesforce licenses. I did Salesforce implementations. Salesforce was a client of mine. I know the Salesforce tech stack very thoroughly, uh, and and knows what it takes to implement it enterprise environment. Salesforce this is the most exciting news that I read all week Um, and it's a big deal because when you think of the nature of Fortune 1000s statistics are made up and percentages are made up but I would venture to guess that 85% of Fortune 1000s are running off of a Salesforce CRM backend right and that's important when you think about enterprise data stacks and tech stacks and when you think about introducing net new capabilities into an enterprise environment it is very risky for an enterprise grade client, a Fortune two, you know, someone that is not even Fortune 1000, but anyone that's generating over 200 mil ARR to go and say that, yeah, we are going to explore a new digital strategy with a no code NFT platform or a native NFT platform that was just launched three months ago. And we have no connection of that data from those collections into our enterprise systems. And that's something that is missing and that is something salesforce can immediately solve right because if your entire lead gen strategy all the way to fulfillment to financial ops and passing through and salesforce's big key uh competitive advantage in the market is their expansive app ecosystem and their ability to integrate with other enterprise platforms if you can connect from an nft collection actually start capturing data on the customer side and piping that in directly into your Salesforce CRM, it's a no brainer that you're going to go and leverage Salesforce NFT platform. And that's where you're going to have to be fighting uh, at that, at that client size or at that client demographic is someone like in a Salesforce NFT studio now. Um, and it's, 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 it's hard. It's, it's hard to compete against that uh, because web three has a marketing problem. Web three has a, an issue, especially with NFT projects and how many rug pulls and scams. And you know, even when some of the T's and C's, the terms and conditions of some of these NFT platforms, if you have a digital asset as a marketing department and now you pass that and upload that into this NFT platform, there is a big risk that we found out last year that a lot of brands experienced where that IP is not actually the brands. It is the platform's IP because you deployed that on that platform. And there is a huge risk and digital assets are IP. And that's one of the biggest concerns for marketing departments. And that is something that is augmented. Yeah. Now, right?
1: No, absolutely. And, and, and Abe, you're, you're struggling with this right now is, you know, who owns what and, and how do you even track back to the source of, of, of ownership um, or exactly. authenticity of these things?
4: Exactly. Yeah. Steve, I think you hit the nail on the head. This was exciting news for me too. And I think the data-driven um, access for companies is, is definitely the richness uh, behind this as well. Um, you know, there is a lot of information you can gather from Web3 Technologies, but at this time, it's sort of clunky, it's sort of missing different pieces. It's hard to operate with. And if you can match it with a traditional um, platform like Salesforce, something where it already has a richness of data and you just merge the two, like, man, you are a powerful force now with that information. You can really expand and accelerate how you start to engage with your, cli- <clears throat> with your clients and previous histories of your clients as well. So I think this is just fantastic news for us, especially as we're trying to accelerate uh, businesses into the space.
1: Yeah, and Sue, I just want to I just want to point out one thing. And Sue, you'll help to put this in frame. The look at the to understand how early this is. Look at the amount of dollars that are being invested into something as big as this by a company as large as Salesforce six million dollars. That's like less than their catering budget for like you know for employee appreciation day.
3: Yeah, it's not even pocket change. And and, and, and
2: there's a layer here too. If you're an NFT platform or you're a web three platform that is promoting NFT capabilities. It is so hard from a customer acquisition strategy. Your customer acquisition costs are so high trying to acquire net new customers, right? But it is so easy mm-hmm. for Salesforce, who's already captured and has got a market dominance of the largest companies of generating millions of ARR already within their, uh, within their platform, that they can go and you just say, hey, go add this module to your existing subscri- uh, sales- Salesforce subscription and all it is is you're just unlocking another feature within our modular ecosystem as a brand why would you not do that it's 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 so it's so low risk compared to a full net new deployment into an enterprise ecosystem that there is a lot of you can't even answer gdpr yep. risk right uh, <laughs> something as basic as that that enterprises very much have to be uh, concerned with
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The European Union has made significant strides towards enacting one of the world's first laws uh, governing AI. Uh, with the main legislative branch approving the draft legislation. Um, this law includes a blanket ban on the police use of live facial recognition technology in public places. I, I think that's that's a good thing. Um, but more importantly, it also covers a wide range of technologies from automated medical diagnosis to AI-generated videos, deep fakes, and AI chatbots. The proposed law also bans emotional recognition at workplaces and schools. To to tackle potential potential copyright infringement, AI developers will be required to publish all works used for training their bots and prove compliance with laws uh, with heavy penalties. Um, I think this is really early, and I'm sure that it's not going to go through like this, but I like the conversation. Um, Abe, what's your reaction?
4: My reaction is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there is a platform that is doing generative AI images and what they're doing is they're including metadata. It's almost like a, um, a stamp with every picture that's um, being generated to say that this is generated by, um, by AI technologies. And it's, it's, I can't remember which one it was, but I saw that probably about three weeks ago. It's, it's an effort right? I don't know mm-hmm. if it's going to work, but it's an effort in the right direction. I think this speaks volumes uh, from the um, regulatory side as well, because it's very dangerous if we do not figure this
1: out right away. Yeah. Sue, could you help frame why this is so important?
3: <laughs> um. <laughs> well, I, you know, there's been, uh, you know, this has been a topic in, in academia. What is Artificial intelligence. What is intelligence? Should we make artificial intelligence more human-like? And and what does that mean? And so when I when I talk about academics, right, it's from the philosophy of what is life to how do we actually deploy some of these tools to get work done? And I, I think one of the most fundamental questions is are we going to substitute, is AI going to substitute for labor thus creating all sorts of these doomsday scenarios around uh, the gap between the rich and the poor and destruction of jobs and universal basic income, et cetera, et cetera. Or is it going to be used to complement so that we can do more than we ever thought we could do? And and my answer is it will be both. And Jay, to your point, I, th- I think this begins a real a real dialogue about it. One of the articles said something like it was received positively. Well, yeah, it passed I don't know, 499 to 28 to something or whatever. But I don't think there's been much time for enterprises, academics, practitioners to actually comment on what this means as a creator, what this means if I'm an attorney, what this means um, if I'm an accountant. Uh, you know, there's OpenAI has some... Some features that most of us don't even know about, including some that can start to do financial analysis. So it's really um, um, it's a conversation that we that we have to have because using this, there's so much potential to use this for good, and so much potential to not
1: yeah and and Siva, when we're kind of we're watching the the new conversation around AI regulation, and it's like they're almost copying and pasting like, how can we destroy the cryptocurrency industry and let's destroy the AI innovation almost in the same you know bucket. They're just like, oh, this is new. Let's go ahead and suppress and regulate. What I fail to see is the studies. You know, the, the, you know, like where's the reports on how they went and said, what's what are the positive effects? What are the negative effects? It just seems like they're throwing out a lot of stuff, you know, based on negativity um, without any real background into yeah,
2: this. Yeah. Well, and I think that's just the nature of what it's just so early. It's the Wild West, you know, in the AI industry, just as it is in, uh, you know, the crypto industry. And, and, and I'm specifically saying the crypto industry, not Web3, because I view uh, AI to be inclusive of Web3. Um, and I believe blockchain is a core dependency of these AI large language models moving forward, because there is the, the strength of AI large language models are very much going to be rooted on the effectiveness of them to handle large data sets, which I think blockchains are perfectly uh, capable of addressing um, uh, over their cloud counterparts. But, you know, I wanna ignore AI as a topic for a second, and I want to really laud or applaud uh, the EU here, uh, because what we're seeing is now, I mean, it's, it's what, the beginning of Q3 of 2023, and in the past quarter or two quarters, if we include now, the EU has led from the front now. They've come and they've passed a regulatory framework around digital and crypto assets in MICA. And now they've taken the first stab at leading from the front and announcing a regulatory framework for their member states, which is included of, you know, 20 plus different countries on how there should be some sort of regulatory clarity in this emerging industry. And everyone is kind of, you have the, uh, the U.S., which is, hey, we're going to enforce by, uh, you know, prosecution, uh, right? And then, uh, you know, you have other countries that are just saying, we don't want to touch this, right? And you have a lot of uh, ge- geographies that just says, we don't understand it well enough. we will wait and let someone else uh, lead, right? And the EU is raising their hand and saying, hey— We will provide clarity, some sort of clarity, some sort of guidance to create a fostering and nurturing environment to bring innovation into our borders. And we will work with you and provide clarity for you to make sure that you can still innovate and we can still explore these emerging technologies. And if there is some sort of risk in investor protections or consumer protections, we will work together or we will provide that clarity for you, right? Whereas right now in the U.S., everyone is... I don't. I don't know what to do. I, I. I don't want to enter crypto right now. I. I don't want to get fined, or I don't want to get litigated against, or, you know, other part. You know, there's a lot
1: of these. Yeah, re- regulation through litigation is is really a, a very poor way to kind of be managing these things right now, and that unfortunately seems like the current administration. That's that's the focus, and that's their choice. They're much smarter than I am, obviously. But you know, the the as we move into AI, and there's going to be so many variations of AI. I mean, that's like saying real estate or or saying vehicles um because there can be so many different flavors and i i don't think we're going to be able to have a one hammer fits all um and we really couldn't even on on internet web 1 um you know there's various ways that we handle you know uh, copyright royalties there's various ways we we handle you know uh uh people's interactions with each other and who owns you know comments and features you know section 230 was designed very different than the digital millennial copyright act and so i think it's going to be a a, a big you know uh, Portfolio of these things uh, that we need. Jumping forward, uh, Lens Protocol um, is showcasing us that we're not truly in a crypto winter. They just raised fifteen million dollars to continue development. Um, for those people that aren't, you know, one hundred percent familiar with with Lens Protocol, uh, it enables user ownership and portability on the social web, um, reimagining it. At- Reimagine it as a decentralized ecosystem of apps uh, accessible through a universal profile. So profiles, activities, and followers are all seen as assets on decentralized storage and portable across applications. Um, Why is this so important? so
2: now is one of my opportunities to feel like a Web3D gen hipster uh, because within YWales, we have been exploring Lens since last summer. uh, And it's so awesome to know that, you know, something that we were exploring is gaining significant traction. Uh, We were exploring it because we believe in a Web 3, you know, decentralized protocol for community management. And Lens is very much a protocol that is modular and it's an environment and ecosystem to create some sort of ownership of data for the users to interact in some sort of social engagement, right? And so um, this is pretty important because the biggest problems right now with current social media is that users don't own any of their data, right? It's the platforms, it's the Facebooks, the Metas, it's it's you know the TikToks, it's you know, Twitter, right? When when you, and and where Lens is coming from is we have created a protocol where you, the content creator, still own the data, and you choose how that data is being leveraged by the platforms or the apps that are connecting with our protocol. And that's such a diametric shift, right? Because we literally social media up until this point from MySpace and you know Zanga and, and, and what have you, right? Up until current which is TikTok is the dominator, we never owned our data. We never owned the content. And Lens has completely uh you know inversed that. Now where I think lens fails um, you know to be quite frank and to be quite honest is um, they are very much building this for a web3 audience um, and that is not where the the consumer attraction is going to be right it's going to be what is it what is a better experience for you know the normal uh, the, the traditional yeah. social media consumer um, it's still too DJ yeah and right
1: now. and, and, and- yeah, you know, and, and one of the things you know, Sue, you and I talk about this all the time. It, it's like <clears throat> you're one person, and you should have one centralized source right. for yourself to manage your 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 profile online. Versus you have a login to Facebook, you have a login at Twitter, you have a login to this and that. Data never syncs. So if you update an email address, or you update any of your profiles, or add a new profile to it, like why why is synchrony across the internet, not just Web three, so so critical?
3: Well, I, and and I was really excited in the beginning on, on the lens protocol and I was an early adopter. I mean, do we all on this call have a dot lens name? We have our name Mm -hmm. dot lens. I just don't, I, it's hard to use. How do we use it? And to your point, Jay, there's no way to sync up my dot lens across my LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, et cetera, et cetera, profiles. So, um, I, I can't wait for the day that that interoperability starts to occur.
1: And, and Abe, you're tackling a similar problem right now. You're trying to say, you know, how do how do we validate institutions and validate people? Um, you know, it on the internet, uh, Web three is the best use case. Uh, but it's it, it's again, it's we're so early. I mean, we're so early in this that anyone can come up with a variety of, of responses, and there is no best practice. Mm-hmm. There is a best practice, and I
4: think now is the time where a lot of people are trying to come up with solutions and we have to see what sticks. But the interconnected interoperability is going to be key, especially when we start talking about metaverses and NFTs that are coming out. I'm excited to bring up some points that, um, that some of the challenges are there, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, jumping forward, and this is, you know, to me, I've been talking about this now, I think for two, two plus years, people have been telling me it's not a big deal, don't worry about it, it's been around forever, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> tw- and I'm going to say that it, it is a big deal. Uh, 20 new countries, 20 new countries have applied to join the BRICS alliance. Uh, that is uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and Saudi Arabia. And the entire goal is to lessen international reliance on the U.S. dollar. Uh, the Berks Alliance is set uh, to, to discuss membership processing for a host of countries uh, during their upcoming summit in August. This is a direct attack on the U.S. dollar, um, and quite simply, I don't believe uh, that that we've seen any type of of response to this uh, that that would appropriate response from the U.S. Uh, and, and allied forces to basically say, "Hey." Why are we giving this to China? Why are we allowing Russia just to go ahead and take over? Um, you know these these are what wars were were fought and 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 pushed over, and now we're just kind of backing away and saying, eh, the U.S. dollars may may or may not be needed. I I'm really concerned about this one. Uh, any thoughts?
4: Yeah, I have some thoughts, Jay. I, I think uh, you know I do think it's it's a reasonable. Um, uh concern for the us for sure um i was thinking about this recently and the way that nations think about their future vision is totally different than the way we do i think we're very short-sighted i think we think in terms of um uh, the next election so it's you know two years four years six years from now i think the europeans in the middle east they they think about 10 15 years Middle East is famously known for coming out with national um, strategic national national visions. So there's like a 2030, 2040, 2050 vision. But then, if you think about how China operates, you know they think in hundreds of years. They are thinking long term. So and you know they have been quietly making interroads with a number of different countries in Asia and Africa, and they're just creating these pipelines. And they're doing it very quietly. They're not making a big fuss about it. But they are putting their tentacles out there in the world. And so, you know, I don't think it's too far away from thinking this is not a challenge for us to sort of pay attention to.
1: I love that. And I also want to point out, I I think that this is just as much of an attack on the SWIFT system as it is on the U.S. dollar. Um, And I think that everyone likes to point out the U.S. dollar and there's, there's, you know, good and bad and right or wrong. I, I, I can't, again, I'm not smart enough to argue that. But but this is when um, when when sanctions are issued, it, it's through the SWIFT system, and you know it's not always fair and it's not always just. Um, you know when Russia invaded mm-hmm. Ukraine, I, no one needs to. There's no argument here that that was a horrible and, and you know horrendous thing to be done. But suddenly you know Russian citizens who who have or may be fully opposed to this, or their businesses which had nothing to do or no justification of this, were suddenly shut off from from the global economy, um, with with a single push of the button because they shut off an entire country. And, um, I, I don't know how anyone knows, but I don't think that Putin was going to take very kindly to a bunch of shop owners saying, Hey, don't do this because now we can't process credit cards. Um, so how's, how's kind of your, your lens on, um, the way that we should be thinking about something like bricks taking over? Is it, is, is there possibly the good that we're not going to get away from a single, single source of, of, um, or a single U S dollar or, you know, is this kind of just going to cause chaos?
3: Well, I mean, there's two schools of thought now, and and one is, you know, we need to start thinking about the time when the U.S. dollar is not the world's reserve currency, right? And yet, I've been in a small group meeting with Larry Summers, who, you know, I think has done a really good job of objectively, kind of crossing party lines and things through the last 24 months or so, and and he's, and and he's just dismissed that. Idea. So I, I'm not sure. I'm not qualified. It's way above my pay grade. But I know that every individual and every organization ought to be thinking about. Um, I don't know. Is it is it a currency strategy? I don't know what it is. But they need to be thinking about the these global power structures shifting and what practically that will mean for them.
1: I think it just goes to show how powerful DeFi is gonna be and why it's mm-hmm. so Absolutely. desperately needed. Is because yeah. there may be a time when your bank says we're we're not, you know, willing yeah. to give you give you that mm-hmm. transaction and you need to go to another source and and you know, you yeah. can't wait weeks or months um to, to go and, and KYC in another yeah. bank. It's like you're kyc you've got a valid bank account, um, and you want to move your money, you want to change currencies. Yeah.
2: Hey, can, can, can you read yeah. some of those country names again? Just just for curiosity's
1: sake. Brazil, uh, Russia, India, China, and Saudi okay. Arabia. Okay,
2: and, and, and there's how Is many Britain's. countries of that consortium or alliance? Well stated?
1: Uh, today? Oh, you'll, you'll test my... No, no, uh, I mean, you so can look it up ones, real quick. I'm, I'm just,
3: you mean the, yeah, new, one, yeah, the yeah. new ones, right? The uh, new applications?
1: Yeah, these are ones that already have, you know, they do not have so, stable currencies. And, and, and that's and key. So, you
2: just said it. So, yeah. you know, I'm not qualified. I'm not an economist. I'm not, you know someone that is of academic nature but you know maybe this is where my midwestern patriotism uh kind of leads through but uh and you know (laughs) this is my opinion but um i'm not really worried because if you think of the nature of the countries that have signed up or have stated those are not traditionally stable economies and think of the us dollar and the dominance it's had the U.S. dollar is so reliable that it is the default currency for all criminal activity. No one is going to other currencies. The only thing that has even disrupted the U.S. dollar for criminal activities is cryptocurrency. And what is what does what do criminals convert back to fiat? And what do they convert back to USD? Right. It is so reliable the U.S. dollar that almost every other country on this planet uses the US dollar as its baseline for their own currencies. To assemble a consortium of 20 plus countries that have an eastern hemisphere skew, of course there is an obligation to them to import this power structure between the east and the west. It's, It's happened. Literally, you know, for the past 1,000 years, right? There has always been a struggle between the East and the West. And as the West has expanded, you know, we've become the dominant economic players of, of the planet. And there is a struggle here right now, but Russia right now is not really a factor. Let's let's be serious, right? Russia has... has
1: I, I would I would argue that that Russia right now is has, has a more stable uh, currency than the United States dollar does right now because they're suffering from less inflation because they're actually oh. oil producing versus the United States that's not oil producing at this time. Oh wow! So, ouch. so I, it is, and and, and and this is again this is the, the the concepts of when the U.S. stopped being an oil producing country. That's why we call the U.S. the petrodollar um, is because we were the glo- we were the global uh, execution venue for oil. Um, now, if Russia, who's, who's one of the largest producers of oil, is settling currency, is settling their transactions, not in US dollars because they're not allowed to, with China, India, um, uh, Saudi Arabia, and others, that's the biggest. That's the but biggest. Is anyone. It's not always what no the It's the, retail... the ruble. Oh, 100%. One hundred percent, it's happening, and and China China is also using the yen, and that's that's the biggest captures around the world for decades. You know, wars were fought, people have died for this. But
2: they're settling, um, like- and, 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 and there's
1: and there's no there's no justification for that. But but now it's it is we're finally seeing that kind of pull back. Uh, quite a bit. And I I think it does lead to cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. That's why we're discussing it. um, It's a very viable thing because now there's subtly going to be choice. Um, You you know, look, you're right, Steve. There is no... No second choice to the US dollar at this time. Um, but as you start gathering, you know, from from six countries to twenty-six countries to fifty countries that are that are saying, dollar. you know, we're, we're done with the dollar, um, it's a it's a it's a slow erosion that leads to chaos. So I, I, I think I, it's a really I good think, topic. I think we'll digital
2: currencies or cryptocurrencies would be a more confident solution than any sort of eastern currency before any other country goes to break or be think about this. So much money moves through Western financial institutions. They they run the world. That's just blatantly obvious, right? And you know, there's dark pools, shadow pools, you know, in the east, but everything eventually gets pegged against the US dollar. We were just talking about this with BlackRock and you
1: know, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, those, I, I, I I I I hope it continues. It's, I don't ever this is a good think one. those
2: banks, those those private markets, capital markets players. Would ever feel comfortable going towards a currency that has arisen out of this BRICS alliance? They would rather make the purview or push towards digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, before the ruble or the yen becomes the default, you know, currency that they have to adjust their business against. And and. and
1: we we are we are absolutely going to find yeah, out over the next few years. I can say topic, that much. Yeah. It's, it's coming. Uh,
2: and then maybe that's why the U.S. isn't really paying a lot of attention to it. I, I don't know. Maybe it's our virus. Yeah.
1: Know. It's, it's not in our purview. Um, let's jump over to something a little bit lighter, uh, and that is the one of the largest uh, fashion retailers in the world, Louis Vuitton, uh, is launching NFTs. Um, so this week, Louis Vuitton launched its new Treasury Trunks NFT collection, uh, priced around $42,000. Each of these, uh, they are soul-bound tokens, meaning that once you it goes into a wallet, it cannot be moved. Um, it's accompanied by uh, an actual product that will come in the mail, so you, it is a digital twin. Um, and the holders of these NFTs will have the opportunity to purchase uh, more of these keys periodically, uh, giving them access to exclusive Louis Vuitton designs and physical counterparts. Sue, this is as cool as it gets. This is as big of a brand as it gets. Like the, the shots of the cru- have been, you know, made, and and they are saying not only is this uh, an NFT that you get in your little wallet. There is real-world value and utility. Like that's a big deal. Yeah,
3: exactly. And as much uh, as as much as uh, we've had uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, lots of FUD going on. Every week, another brand or two or three or four announces some sort of an initiative in the broadly defined Web three arena. Um, Tiffany launched a, a limited edition, if you remember, of CryptoPunks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramoa partnered for with with uh, RTFKT for a, for a luggage collection, and just for those dads of daughters and moms of daughters, Barbie. When the movie comes out, it's a it's a huge movie uh, release this summer, I think next month, um, The Barbie's going to be launching an NFT collection with Boss Beauties. So I think the message here is large enterprises are still looking to Web3 to create more engagement with Customers and more personalized engagement with customers in, in, in all price ranges from, from Tiffany and Louis Vuitton at the $40,000 plus level to, uh, to NFTs um, released along
1: with the Barbie movie. You know what was so surprising to, the, to me on this one is it was so Web3-ish. Like we've been seeing such a thing where they, they're they calling them digital collectibles. They're, they're mm-hmm. removing all aspects of wallets um, and, and self-custody. And it's like, they're like, nope, this is a full Web3. Here's NFTs. Here's, you know, attach your MetaMask wallet. Like they just went right back to what everyone was doing last year. And I, I don't know, you know, if I agree with that because I think it still precludes majority of the world who has no idea how to use Web3 technologies, um, you know, from participating in something like this.
3: Well, and then they're also doing a digital twin, which is really interesting. So that, that term now will start to come into the consciousness mm-hmm. of, of Americans because digital twins, there's the consumer side and there's many industrial and enterprise applications for digital twins. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting, the innovation um, and, and entrance into Web3 that we still see.
4: That I think it's I think it's really intentional too. I really love LVMH for for leaning into this and using the terminology. <laughs> and I think it speaks to the audience that they're really trying to target. They're trying to target the people who are web3 natives and who understand how this works it's probably an indication of what they're going to bring out later on in the pipeline, right? So they want people who are comfortable with yeah. the technology to receive the future benefits that are coming along with this. And I love the fact that they use a trunk. There's a lot of history behind it mm-hmm. it's back in horse and buggy. This is the first thing they, you know, was created during yeah. the 1800s. So there's a lot of history behind this iconic trunk. And I'm, I'm I was really, um, it was really cool to see this, uh, see this launch.
1: Well, and and then, you know, right behind that, there's another article, uh, which is uh, LVMH, Uh, the multinational luxury goods conglomerate, has now established in conjunction a partnership with Epic Games. Uh, Those that understand remember Fortnite and Unreal Engine, you you guys absolutely know who Epic Games are. Mm -hmm. Um, And now there's a pipeline for uh, consumer experiences. So the collaboration uh, between these two will enable immersive product discovery experiences like virtual fitting rooms, fashion shows, augmented reality, and here it comes again, digital twins. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It seems like there's... A lot of movement on this, and, and we're really getting there. Siva, how hard is it to coordinate between big, massive brands like this when you're when you're creating these kind of um, oh,
2: in, insanely hard. I mean, there's silos within the the same the brands themselves, right? But man, what LVMH is doing is just amazing. Um, and 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 what they're doing, every B two C or D two C brand should be taking note. Because what they are doing is they're not going after even the millennial audience. They're not going after even the Abe's and myself, um, right? It's, it's, it's Gen better. Z. And what Gen Z, yeah, wa- their purchasing behavior right now is much more geared towards, hey, I don't have brand loyalty based off of I purchase good from you and you make a great product. It is now skewing towards what is the experience I receive as being a loyalist Mm -hmm. to your brand, right? Starbucks is killing this right now with their loyalty programs, right? And I've been testing and playing around with their Odyssey beta and it's just amazing. But what LVMH is doing is saying, hey, when you buy one of our products, look at all of the utility or potential utility that's going to be accompanied with that. And it's great because it's going to lower their customer acquisition cost because it's always cheaper to retain an existing customer than trying to acquire a new customer.
4: Steve, I'll back you up with a statistic that I read. Um, 70% of Gen Zs consider the experience of the experience that they have with a brand is equal to or greater than the actual product that yeah, they're about that's to buy.
2: Crazy. I didn't think it was that
4: You need to pause and think about that for a second if you're a retailer. It was that
1: high. So when you think about how long it takes to set up a, a, one of these deals and one of these partnerships, and this is one of those like it, it's probably a year plus in the making, which is why we're we're you know the, these things were approved last year during the last bull run these and everything else. Um, and a but I'd, I'd like to say that the world has changed a little bit because again they chose to go with Unreal Engine. Yeah. Tell, give a quick example of why that may not be a the best the best go forward strategy today because the world changed last week. as You're far thinking- as...
4: It's not good to go with Unreal Engine
1: compared to Unity, and why why is Unity a better choice today versus last week? Well, it's you know it's hard because this
4: changes really frequently, right? Um, Unreal Engine just came out with a really cool tech where you can modify environments in a just click drag, uh, click and drag type of type of way. So it. You know, I'm going to get to this point later on, but there's a drive towards a co-creation economy when it comes to the metaverse. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a competition between these Unities and these Unreal engines to create tools that allow creators to build as part of the experience that you have with a a company. I really think this is going to take off. I think there's an article that will bring up that show that very clearly with statistics and I think the there's going to be a, a drive towards the monetization for the creators to be a part of this experience. Um, so you know, I, I hold back any bets on what tools because you asked me this in three weeks, I might have a different answer for you, Jay. Yeah, and
1: I probably would have I probably <laughs> would have would have gone along with this being a little bit wider um, if it hadn't been for Apple releasing the Vision Pro, uh, which is already you know fully integrated with Unity um and yeah. which is unreal's you know number one competitor and the fact that you again we're, we're still six months out uh six plus months out in fact we we could be a year out we don't even know um when they're actually going to launch the vision pro um but we do you know i will say it is a game changer you know and i'm i'm sitting here here here's you know facebook's 1500 dollar um you know w- oculus whatever the hell it is flop. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah it's a complete <laughs> flop. and and Apple goes hey watch this we're gonna over double that price um but I I, I do believe that Apple got got a lot right and I think it for a, a gen one product uh, I, I think it's gonna really change the world and so things like shopping and and everything that lvmh wants to do um I, I think they're gonna you're gonna see a, another thing really quickly about them adopting somehow uh, Unity, so that they can get the exact processes they're building. Um, and, and again, this this is this works with Unreal Engine, so they they may be multi uh, multi-platform. But I think this is going to be kind of that that old school Apple, uh, you know, fight against Adobe Flash. And you're going to kind of have to say like, I whether you like them or love them or hate them, um, there's going to be some standards adoptions that's going to happen over here. And Metaverse is going to be the first one to get hit.
4: Yeah, I'll I'll add to that too. So Adobe Firefly, Adobe is also being a a partner with yes. this as well. So um, I think a lot of people are missing one thing with with Apple products. Apple, the people who really love Apple products are designers right? These are the people who are using the products. It's very smooth. It's very, it's just created for creators, essentially. And going back to the comment I just made two, three minutes ago, I really think a co-creation economy within the metaverse is really just going to nail it and enhance the experience. And so they've opened up the door for all the creators, essentially, to come in and start building on, on anything that we have available to you. And that's, that's the accelerant right there.
1: Fabulous. So there was a big report on metaverse. Um, you know, metaverse was as big as you could. Uh, Zuckerberg blew about $11 billion on it. Uh, There was, you know, every, there was one point in time, if it was a metaverse related token, you know, the minimum you would have had a return on over like a a 12 month period would have been, you know, like 15X. Um, It was the hottest thing. And now they're all down, you know, 80, 90%. So the metaverse report that that came out, I thought was very, uh, you know, very good. It really talked about uh, creating virtual economies, Goods for consumer use. Yeah. We were getting a- away from the it exists and it's scarce and it's it just because it's there. It, it's rare and it should be expensive. Too suddenly, it's like, hey. Products, services into virtual worlds. Sue, what's your kind of most biggest hope for kind of the next iteration yeah. of the
3: metaverse? I mean, what What I loved about this particular report, and I'd be interested in in what Siva and Abe have to say as well, is, it, you know, we kind of think of the metaverse as a consumer metaverse today, and this clearly moves us into a commercial and an industrial metaverse, and. In some part, it will take the whatever headsets you're going to use. But I think you talked earlier, Jay, about the ability even just on your normal websites to try and close and things like that. Without those, it's, <laughs> you know, there is this spatiality around the um, the internet in fashion, etc. That, that it's no longer flat. It's... Uh, I don't know, maybe three-dimensional and then it becomes four-dimensional once you
1: once you go into the internet, into the metaverse. But if I actually had a conversation with you like this, would 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 this be acceptable? Like so when we're talking about the the concept of true immersion, like would any of you take me seriously talking to you with this on my head? Not today.
3: (laughs) <laughs> We're going to have cool glasses I mean, or contact <laughs> yeah. one, which is what it's going to be. Just,
1: right. just implant right into our brain. I mean, neural. Elon's working on it. He's got Neuralink. He just, yeah. you know, go ahead and it. just put it into your spinal cord, and, and there you go.
3: Yeah.
1: Deliver ads yeah. right to our brain. We don't even have to see them anymore. Exactly. Hey, what's what's the what's the next big thing coming in, in metaverse? You think? Um, oh, is, is it going to be related to the vision, or is it going to? Are we going to have something that comes?
4: I out? think so. I I think the the vision is really going to shape the industry moving forward, at least in the near term. Um, I think a lot of people are putting uh, a lot of pressure on the first version. And my initial reaction to that is, you know, look at how the iPhone rolled out. Look at how the Apple Watch rolled out. No one really thought the first versions were great, but you judge the product on version two, on version three. Actually, you judge it on version three and four. You know, the first version is not really built for anybody. That's that's a test in the market, right? Version two, all right. There's a few people who can gravitate towards that. When you get to version three and four, you come out with your light edition, the different colors and different specs. You limit the amount of features. So then the price changes. I think that's what we should be judging the Apple um, Vision technologies uh, or products for. Love it.
1: Love it. Uh, that's our hour. Why Whales? This is the, the first episode of uh, the new Why Web 3 uh, talk series. And I absolutely love it. Thank you, Sue, Siva, and Abe for co-hosting with me. Um, that is that is June 15th, this week in uh, Web3, and we will see you guys next time.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Cheers, everybody.
0: Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck passionate entrepreneur, and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWhales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show and your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com.